Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2 for our scripture reading today. We'll be reading Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Amen. Some of you might have heard the name Joshua Harris. When Joshua Harris was a young man and back in 1997, he released a book for the church called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. The book sold 1.2 million copies to its Christian audience. The book argued that Christians were flirting with disaster by participating in the dating culture of Western society. And so Harris suggested that Christians instead move to a model of courtship in preparing for marriage. Then in 2004, Joshua Harris became the lead pastor of a mega church in Maryland, and he remained in that role as pastor until the year 2015. Because of Joshua Harris's leadership in the church, it came as a shock when he and his wife last summer announced on Instagram that they were getting a divorce. But it was an even greater shock when a few days later, Joshua Harris posted on Instagram these words. I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for it is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. How could this be? How could a significant one-time leader in the church, a pastor, suddenly announce that he no longer considered himself to be a Christian? Well, I don't think there's anything sudden about what happened to Joshua Harris or his faith. C.S. Lewis once wrote in his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, that the safest road to hell is a gradual one. I think then that Joshua Harris's faith gradually drifted away from Christ until the time when he realized that he was no longer a Christian. This is sobering. People, even church leaders, can reject what looked like faith in Christ. Because this is true, the author of Hebrews gives a warning to the church here in Hebrews chapter 2. This is the first of six warnings that he will give in his book to the Hebrew Christians. These Christians were considering abandoning their faith in Jesus and returning to their faith in the Old Testament covenant. The author warns this church, pay attention, wake up, you are in serious danger. The author is saying, through this passage of Scripture, then, I want to give you this same warning today. 
Let me give you some reasons this morning why we need to pay closer attention to our faith in Jesus from Hebrews chapter 2. First of all, you need to pay attention because we have a tendency to drift. The author of Hebrews begins chapter 2 by saying, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Well, what have we heard? They had heard, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, a message about a great salvation. We can be saved from the judgment of God for our sins. Is that a great message or what? Is that a wonderful gospel? We can be saved from the judgment of God. That was what the Hebrew church had heard. And so they had heard in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, that after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus had cleansed us from our sins by dying on the cross for those sins. Faith in Christ's death in our place on the cross saves us from the judgment of God. We need to pay closer attention to this message of salvation, according to the author of Hebrews, lest we drift away from this message. And this Hebrew church was drifting away from the salvation that comes in Christ and Christ alone. They were drifting away from it by the reader's desire to live once again under the old covenant law. They wanted to find forgiveness with God through the sacrificial system where the sacrifices, animal sacrifices, were offered up at the temple, rather than finding their salvation in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And if this Hebrew church was not just temporarily defecting from their faith, that we are saved only through Christ's sacrifice, it was in danger of apostasy, similar to the apostasy of Joshua Harris. The word apostasy means the rejection of the gospel and the rejection of Jesus as our only means of salvation. Notice carefully the word that the author uses to warn his readers in verse 1. It is the word drift. We don't just wake up one day and suddenly announce to the world, you know, I've decided that I don't really believe this whole Christianity thing anymore. We don't do that one day. No, what happens? We gradually drift away from the good news of Jesus. We gradually drift. This word drift gives us the picture of this that I brought with me this morning. It's a, a picture of a boat on an ocean. What happens to you and your boat if you suddenly decide, you know, this is a good place for me to stop. This is a place where perhaps it's a good fishing place or it's a place where you enjoy the view. You stop there, you turn off your engine, but you don't put your anchor down. What will happen to your boat? Will your boat stay in the same place there on the ocean? No. Your boat is going to drift with the current. The current will take it wherever the current wants to go. And the same thing is true for us. Church, here is the very scary thing about our hearts. Our sinful hearts 
naturally drift away from God and not toward God. That is our nature. We tend to drift from God. It's real easy then to drift away from God. If you want to drift away from God, do nothing. Don't read the Bible. Don't come to church. Don't remember the truth that you have been taught. Do none of these things. And what will be the result? You will drift. You will drift away from God and away from the message of his salvation. Some of you might remember the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There's a line in that hymn where the writer says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Now, was this hymn writer just writing about himself? No. He was writing about all of us. What happens to our hearts? We drift. We don't stay close to God. Instead, we drift away from him. All of us, if left to ourselves, will drift. Now, does this warning about drifting mean that a Christian can lose his or her salvation? Well, let's look at what Jesus says about this question in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. Let's read together out loud from these verses. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. So what does Jesus say to us? He says that a true Christian will never perish. A true Christian will never be snatched out of God's strong hand. God's hand is strong, and we thank him for that. Therefore, we can never be snatched out of God's hand. Yes, for some believers, there might be times of disobedience and backsliding. But a person who is truly saved through faith in Christ cannot ultimately lose their salvation. Well, you might ask, if you can't lose your salvation, then why give this warning here? That doesn't seem to make any sense. Why give a warning if no one can lose their salvation? Well, here's why. Because the New Testament nowhere teaches that an initial acceptance of the offering of salvation by believing that Christ died for your sins is sufficient for your salvation without perseverance in your faith. You must persevere in your faith. That is the consistent teaching of the New Testament. You can't turn your back on your faith and consider yourself to be a Christian. You must persevere. And what is one of the means that God uses to help us to stay in our faith? What means does God use to help us to persevere? It is warnings like this one in Hebrews chapter 2. God warns us so that we will stay on the path so that we will stay walking toward Christ. 
God uses warnings to motivate Christians to persevere in their faith and stay on the path. Now, another reason why the author of Hebrews is warning the church here in Hebrews 2 is because there are some people who attend church who seem to be Christians, but they are really not. I want you to think for a moment about Judas. We all know Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples that one of them at that meal would betray Jesus. That's what he said. Now, do you remember what the disciples said in response to Jesus when he made that announcement at the Last Supper? There was not a single disciple who stood up and said, Jesus, I know who it is. It's Judas. That guy is such a loser. I could see him turning away from you months ago. Nobody said that. You know why? Because from the outside, Judas looked like a believer. No one could tell that Judas had drifted away from Christ. No one could see that. From all outside appearances, Jesus looked just like the rest of them. But was Judas a real believer? No. His heart had gradually drifted away from Jesus. And so the disciples asked themselves a question that I would encourage each one of you to ask yourselves. When Jesus said that one of them would betray, what did they say? Jesus, is it I? Is it me who will betray you? Am I drifting away from you? Church, if you know that you are drifting away from Jesus today, come back today. Don't delay. You need to come back today. You need to stop drifting because your soul is in danger. Pursue Christ again. Trust that Jesus and Jesus alone can save you. Well, you need to pay attention to your salvation because we tend to drift, but you also need to pay attention to your salvation because God is just and God holds people accountable. Verse 2 of chapter 2 writes about the, the justice of God during the days of the Old Testament. We read, therefore, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Now, the message declared by angels that the writer writes about in verse 2 is the Old Testament law. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, we read that the, the law was put in place through angels. And in Acts chapter 7 and verse 53, the church leader Stephen said that the, the Jews received the law as delivered by angels. The writer of Hebrews is saying then that the Old Testament law as delivered by the angels proved to be a reliable message. It was a clear message and it was completely true. It was legally binding on those who heard it. And so if the Jews of the Old Testament, if they obeyed the law, they would be blessed. That was God's promise. And that certainly happened. But if they disobeyed the law, not only would they be cursed, 
they would also be punished here on earth in some way. That would be God's just retribution. According to verse 2, those who were disobedient would receive a just retribution. God would act with justice against those who had sinned. Now, if you have read the Old Testament, you can probably think of some examples, perhaps too many examples, of people being punished by God. You can remember all those stories. Think, for example, about what happened when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were on the verge of entering into the promised land. Do you remember what the children of Israel did? They sent out what? To check out the promised land. They sent out spies, right? And those spies explored the land for 40 days. They were to check out all of the land to see where it was vulnerable so that the children of Israel could attack and enter in. The land they saw was indeed very good. It was a great land that God was giving them. But 10 out of the 12 spies returned to Israel with the message that there was no way that God could give them this land. Now think about how stupid that is. What had God just done? God had just delivered the Israelites from the most mighty superpower on earth at that time. Through a series of plagues and miracles, God had delivered Israel from the people of Egypt. And yet here were these spies who had seen those miracles saying, nope, God can't do it. God's not powerful enough. Sorry, we're going to have to turn back. That's what they said. They preferred to return to Egypt and become slaves again rather than receiving God's good gift of the promised land. So what was God's just punishment for the people of Israel's disobedience? What did he give them? God said that according to the number of days that Israel had spied out the land, 40 days, they would pay for their sins at the rate of a year for each day. And so for 40 days, they would wander in the wilderness and not enter into the promised land. They would do that because of their disobedience to God and their complete lack of faith. None of the adults among the Israelites, with the exception of the two spies who did have faith, Joshua and Caleb, none of those adults would ever see the promised land. This was God's just punishment for the sins of the Israelites. Now, at this point, some of you might say to me, Pastor, 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 this is the Old Testament. God is a God of judgment in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, he's a God of mercy and forgiveness and love. Why are you preaching this Old Testament stuff? Well, this is the part of the sermon where I remind each of you, God is the exact same God in the New Testament as he is in the Old Testament. If you think he's a different God, you have missed the boat. You have drifted from your faith. God is a God of justice and mercy in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, he is a God of mercy, yes, but he is also a God of justice. We see God's justice in the New Testament here in Hebrews chapter 2. 
especially here in verses 2 and 3. In verse 2, we have seen how people in the Old Testament received God's just penalty for their sins if they rejected the message of God. And then the author argues from the lesser to the greater in verses 2 and 3. So he's saying, okay, yes, in verse 2, the Old Testament, those who are under the Old Testament law suffered God's judgment. So what does he say in verse 3? He is saying, if people were justly punished for rejecting God's law in the Old Testament, how much more will they be judged for rejecting the salvation that God offers us through Jesus? How much more? And so that's what he's saying. How much more will God hold people accountable if they reject the saving message of the gospel of Christ? In the words of verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So the seriousness of God's judgment is not decreased in the New Testament. In fact, it's what? It is increased in the New Testament. God's judgment is even greater now in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, people were judged as they lived out their days on earth. But in the New Testament, it is revealed that if you reject Jesus and his great salvation, you will be judged for how long? Not 40 years. You will be judged for eternity if you reject the salvation of Christ. Now notice what is said about the salvation that Jesus offers in verse 3. It is a great salvation. The theme of Hebrews, as you can see from all of these greater than signs throughout our stage, is that Jesus is greater. His salvation is greater than the salvation offered in the Old Testament. The salvation of Jesus is greater because it is God's final word on forgiveness, the forgiveness that we desperately need. The salvation of Jesus has cleansed us once and for all, once and for all, from all of our sins. The salvation, or the sacrifice rather, of the animals in the Old Testament only partially brought forgiveness from God. The Jews were forgiven until they sinned once again, and they had to go to the temple again and offer a sacrifice again. Repeat over and over and over again. That was the salvation offered under the Old Testament covenant. But the salvation of the New Testament is Christ died for our sins how many times? Once. And sin was dealt with once and for all. Jesus' salvation is greater. Jesus is the final and sufficient sacrifice. No more sacrifices are needed because Jesus is greater and his salvation is greater. So what does this mean for you and me? Jesus is our only escape from God's judgment. If you reject Jesus, there is no other way to be saved. Have you trusted then that Christ died for your sins? 
I really hope so. Jesus offers you a great salvation. Forgiveness from all of your sins. Open access into the presence of God forever. But if you reject Jesus and his salvation, there will be no escape for you. You need finally to pay attention to this salvation because the message of Jesus is clear and it's true. Verse 3 tells us this message of salvation was declared at first by the Lord. Jesus came to earth as God to tell us how we might be saved. It was a message about God's free grace and forgiveness. We don't have to earn our forgiveness by our good works. In fact, we can't earn forgiveness by good works. That message of grace that Jesus came to bring was then attested to us, according to verse 3, by the apostles. The apostles also spoke about how we can be saved from God's judgment by God's grace through faith that Christ died on the cross for our sins. This is the clear teaching of both Jesus and the apostles. And God confirmed that message that our salvation truly comes to us through Christ by signs and wonders and various miracles, according to verse 4. God did what only God can do. He did miracles. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. These miracles prove the truth of the words of both Jesus and the apostles. And finally, the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will in verse 4 also prove that the message of the gospel is true. Isn't that wonderful? Do you want to know how the message of God's salvation is true? As we in the church use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to each one of us to serve one another in love, people will look around at that and they will say something. They will say, God is really among you. Look at what God is doing through this group of people as they love and serve one another. The message of the gospel of grace and mercy must be true. It's wonderful to have that kind of confirmation through what the Holy Spirit is doing in each one of us. On December 7th, 1941, just before 7 a.m. in Hawaii, a private in the Army looked at his radar screen, and he saw this large formation of planes 130 miles away from Pearl Harbor. Eighteen minutes later, this private called the only officer on duty that morning, a man named Lieutenant Kermit Taylor, to tell him what he was seeing on his radar. Lieutenant Taylor knew that about a dozen B-17 bombers were flying that morning from San Francisco to Hawaii. And so his response to the operator, the radar operator who called him, was this. Don't worry about it. Lieutenant Taylor did not realize that the radar was not showing a dozen American bombers. The radar was actually showing 189 Japanese airplanes headed toward Pearl Harbor to destroy our Navy there. The radar and the uh, private who was looking at the radar 
sent the proper warning to the Navy. But Lieutenant Taylor did not pass on the warning. As a result, thousands of U.S. sailors died because they were not prepared for what would come 40 minutes after Lieutenant Taylor had ignored the warning. There are serious consequences to those who neglect warnings. The message of Hebrews chapter 2 is that we Christians have a great salvation. We are completely forgiven for all of our sins if we trust that Christ died for those sins. And we have eternal life with Christ and with Christ's people if we persevere in the faith in which we hold. What a great Savior. What a great salvation that we have. But here's the warning. There will be no escape from God's judgment if you turn your back on Jesus. There is no escape in a different religion, a religion like Judaism, which the Hebrew church was tempted to go back to. And there is no escape if you try to earn your own salvation by your good works. Jesus is the only way to escape from God's judgment. Some of you once made a profession of faith in Jesus. You told Jesus that you believe that he died for your sins. But in recent days, if you're honest with yourself, you've been drifting. You've been drifting away from Christ and his great salvation. Maybe you've been drifting because you've started to worship an idol that you think is greater than Jesus. Maybe you've drifted from Jesus because of some trials and temptations that you have been facing. Life has been hard for you, and it doesn't seem like Jesus is helping you. Or maybe you've drifted from Jesus just because you're, you're busy with your life, you're, you're busy with other things, and so you've become distracted. Or maybe you've drifted from Jesus because there is some sin that you enjoy too much to let go of it. If you are drifting from Jesus this morning, please, please hear the warning of Hebrews chapter 2. There will be no escape for you if you neglect the salvation that you have through faith in Jesus Christ. No escape. You must persevere in your faith, in the faith that God has given you. How do you persevere in that faith? Read the Bible every day. Pray to God every day for the strength you need to persevere. Come to church every week to receive the encouragement that you need from God's people. Use the time and money that God has given you for his glory and for your good. By forming these habits, you will persevere in your faith. Church, this morning you have been warned. You have been warned because you have a great and a precious salvation that comes to you as a gift, a gift of grace from Jesus. Don't neglect that salvation. Don't turn your back on Jesus. 
Jesus is greater than everyone and everything. Don't drift in your faith. Keep pursuing him. Keep persevering in your faith. I guarantee you, it will be worth it in the end. As we close this morning, I'll ask our worship team to come back. With every eye closed here this morning, I want to ask this morning if there is someone here who knows that they have been drifting away from Jesus, but today they, they want to make a statement that they want to come back to Christ. They want to follow him with all of their hearts. And so today, if you have been drifting, but you want to say today that you want to come back, would you raise your hand so that I might pray for you? If you've been drifting and you want to come back, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray for these. Jesus, what a great Savior you are. Thank you for forgiving us of all of our sins, even though we have been your enemies. You still want to forgive us. You still love us. What a great Savior you are. And so I pray for those who have been drifting. Please bring them back today. Bring them back to you. Bring them back to your love. Bring them back to the firmness of their salvation in Christ and Christ alone. Thank you that you are a great Savior. Please bring back the drifting today. Amen.